Are you freaking serious? Jim's Playground now has its own website. Go to www.jinsplayground.com to see what the almighty Jin has in store for you. Also, dude, Chinaman is not the preferred nomenclature. Asian American, please. Bitch. This time around, the gas tank is filled to the brim with Red Bull. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program already in progress. Oh. That's right. Episode 20, sickos. I know you're feeling that. No need to pretend. I am your host, the Immortal Jin. It's been too long. It's time to get crackalackin'. Belly up to the bar, amigo. Today we're serving you up a two-fisted Boilermaker hand grenade with the blessings of a lemon twist. And goddamn, it feels good. I said goddamn. Goddamn. I'm not even gonna lie. We've got a full plate, ladies and gents. We're gonna go over the Star City Games weekend that took place here in Denver a couple weeks back. We're going to talk about some deck brewing, specifically my own weapon of choice that I took to the 5K standard event. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Pro Tour Masterdam. We're also going to kick you square in the nuts with some Scars of Mirrodin spoiler action. And of course we've got some playground news and community calendar. And what's this? State Championships. Oh shit, son. Alright, well, before I get too carried away on that topic, let's talk about the Star City Games 5K that happened right here in the Mile High City. Actually, wait a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on there, big shifter. Perhaps we should take it back a little further, as this story begins much, much earlier than that. It actually began back around the Zendikar Limited season. Now, I played in the Limited PTQs and didn't do so hot in those. You know, I bombed in the extended PTQs after that. Regionals came around, and you guessed it, shitty McShitterson. The standard PTQs for Amsterdam came and went, and uh, I, I think I put together about five straight tournaments where I picked up two quick losses early. You know, what good constructed rating I had was completely and totally demolished by what I thought was just a, you know, a nasty case of the run-bads. When I pulled all that data together and, and put all of this under the microscope to take a closer look, it made a lot more sense why I'd done so poorly. You know, I've seen people play mistake-free magic and just get unlucky, but that wasn't what was happening with me here. Ultimately, I, I just wasn't putting forth the effort to improve my game. You know, I, I assumed too much. And I stopped being a student of the game and began thinking I was a master. And the moment you start thinking that you're a master at something is the very moment you find that you're getting your ass handed to you by a student. And throughout the last 16 years I've been playing Magic, I've, uh, I've watched players, good players, go through ups and downs. You know, ebbs and flows. Now, ups and downs are the nature of the beast when it comes to Magic. I think one of the main culprits is the time that we allow ourselves to think about and play the game. You know, most of us have other hobbies and responsibilities that prevent us from taking the necessary time that it takes to, to play and think about the game, you know, in that effort to become a great player. And it's not to say that it's a bad thing. You know, it is what it is. You know, for most of us, there's just going to be those things that, uh, that take precedence over putting in the time for magic. So what do we end up doing? Well, we try to do our best with the time that we give ourselves to play and think about the game. You know, sometimes it's more time, sometimes it's less. And when we have more time, we test more, we discuss more, and, uh, you know, overall we tend to feel more comfortable and familiar with a format. And as a result, we're more confident about our games, and subsequently we tend to do better. And of course, on the other hand, you know, when we devote less time to the hobby, we don't do as well and we make more mistakes. You know, it's ebbs and flows. Hence why I always say that from a competitive standpoint, you're only as good as your last tournament result. You know what I mean? Just just like a, a prize fighter, you know, he's just as good as his last fight. You know, I found that I had leaned 
way too much on what skill I had and didn't lift a finger to get better. I just didn't, I just didn't play as much as I used to. And as as far as deck knowledge was concerned, I just took took a look at lists and tried to figure out you know how they operated in theory. In other words, I half-assed it, you know. And half-assing anything isn't going to get you there. Now, it, it, it took a string of busted tournaments, uh, but I finally came to the conclusion that I'd had enough of this losing bullshit. You know, I wanted to win again. You know, in many cases, at least for me, if ever I wanted something bad enough, I had to be willing to work for it. And so I did. You know, in the weeks leading up to the Front Range Team Challenge and uh, the Star City Games 5K, I, I just... I set aside the time. I made the time to study for the format and test with friends. And and you know what? Only after a, a, a couple of weeks of making the time to test, you know, while while getting out to the local weekly tournaments to compete, you know, I began to see a huge difference in my game. You know, I was I was becoming proficient with a with a good number of decks, and I was beginning to feel that swagger come back. You know what I mean? I'd vowed to myself and my team that I was gonna you know stop with the theoretical brewing. And just, you know, find the best deck, go into the tournament as the best player with the best deck. And that's how you win tournaments. Or at least that's how you move yourself to the top of the list of frontrunners. There was only one problem, and it was a biggie. <laughs> the standard format is wide open. You know, I've been playing Magic since late 1994. And I, I can honestly say that I don't remember a time when when Standard was more diverse. You know, I think back to, to Standard environments of yesterday, you know, where there, there always seemed to be, you know, that one or two decks that just kind of stood above the rest. You know, recently, before M11's introduction, there was, you know, there was Jund, and it's still proving to be a great deck. But, you know, you had Fairies, you had Teachings before that, you had decks like Affinity, Rebels, um, Bargain, even going all the way back to decks like Necro. You know, having those top dogs in the past made it easier to test and become proficient with these decks because, I mean, there were only a couple you really had to know the insides and outs of. But currently there are at least, at least, 10 to 12 different decks out there that could win a tournament on any given day. I mean, to hell with rock, paper, scissors. All of these decks in standard really beat up on one another. You know, it's like it's like the magic version of a barroom brawl. You know, every deck has has its really bad matchup. So, testing and trying to, to become proficient with all of these decks in an effort to find out what beats what, and above all other things, what I'm going to be the most comfortable with, was probably the most difficult thing to date that I've had to do when preparing for a tournament. I mean, there's just too many damn decks and no clear choice. However, the good news that I think that, that came out of this was that I was getting in a ton of good practice against all of the relevant decks. You know, I knew how each deck was supposed to function, and uh, I, I got in some good reps with each deck so that I could know more about their strengths and weaknesses as well as the, the, those tiny little tricks that, you know, that those decks are capable of. In the end, I got to know the format really, really well. So come time to, to play in the Front Range Magic Team Challenge, uh, I landed on Valakut Ramp uh, for my deck of choice. And I felt that, that there were going to be a lot of blue-white control decks and ramp-style decks out there, and I felt that Valakut was a, a very good choice and had a very good matchup against most of those style of decks. Overall, I was, I was really comfortable with it, but only to a point. You know, I, I had steered away from the combo version and went with a creature version of the deck, you know, it was a list that I saw do very well on an online daily. And shortly afterwards, Kyle Boggams did a, a premium article showcasing an extremely similar build. And, you know, who knows? Maybe he was the guy that, that won that online daily. Now, I played many, many games with this deck, and I came to the conclusion that there are, there are two big rules when keeping a hand with this deck. You must have an accelerant in your hand and a green source of mana to cast it with. You know, it seems basic enough, and, and when the stars aligned, uh, I was able to keep a hand that, that contained both, I won close to 100% of my games. And that fact alone made the deck really, really impressive. The problem I was having was that rarely did it ever work out that way. You know, in many builds I was seeing, they were, uh, they were running as low as 9 sources of green mana, and as high as 12 sources. And for all intents and purposes, this is a mono-green deck with very few red cards. Now, do you know how odd it is to see a mono-green deck with four forests in it? 
And that all said, the, the deck gave me problems in testing, and it gave me problems at the team challenge. I have never mulliganed more with a deck in my life. You know, common opening hands were like two Mountain, one Valakut, one Bloodbraid Elf, uh, Primeval Titan, Avenger of Zendikar, and Explore. Awesome. I've got to ship it. In every game that I played at the Front Range Magic Team Challenge, save one, I had to mulligan. I mean, I was playing a mono green deck that packed 11 mountains and 4 Valakut. No wonder I was mulliganing a lot. Of course, there were hands that, you know, I'd find a green source, but, you know, didn't have an accelerant. So, you know, and if I keep hands like that, I, I wouldn't actually be doing anything until turn 4, and that's an eternity to give any deck in the field. Now, you might say that a, a single magic tournament offers a very small sample size when talking about results. However, it was giving me these sort of awkward openers in the testing as well. You know, the deck's inconsistency and its frequent awkward opening hands made me think that there's just there are better choices out there for me when it comes to the Star City Games 5K. You know, it's a fantastic deck when the stars align, but I wanted something that was going to give me what I wanted with far less mulligans. Well, the week leading up to the event, I spent racking my brain trying to figure out what I was going to play. You know, the option was there to play blue-white control. And uh, although I, I feel I can pilot this deck really, really well, I didn't like my game against Turboland and Valakut Ramp, and even Jund wasn't a guarantee. You know, I had the option to, to play a, a really tight Jund list. That would have been a, a safe bet and a viable option. The problem I have with Jund is that I just don't enjoy playing it. You know? I mean, it, it doesn't gather my interest. I, 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 I got really good playing Jund, you know, just through the sheer amount of testing that I did with the deck. But being good with the deck doesn't mean I enjoyed playing it, if that makes sense. You know, I, I'm really good at washing my dishes, but doesn't mean I'm Johnny on the spot to go wash the fucking pots, you know what I mean? You know, there are some people, I mean, you know these people, you know, they're like, oh, I hate Jund. You know, those are pretty much the same people who are like, oh, I hate fairies. You know, I'm not one of those guys that's going to hate on the dominant deck. I completely understand why both decks are strong. I think the reason why I liked playing fairies and I don't like playing Jund is the fact that fairies allow me to interact with my opponent in a very powerful way. You know, I, I could be a, a control deck where I could say no to something, or I could turn on the jets and go afterburner on someone's ass. With Jund, you know, it's like <sighs> Savage Land, go. Play a dude. Play another dude. Blightening you. Play the Cascade Lottery. Bolt you. Now, I'm not a hater. You know, it's a powerful deck. It's just dull to me. You know, I've, I've been looking forward to this 5k event for too long to just settle on a deck like Jund. You know, as good as that deck is. Now, way early on, when Summoning Trap first got printed, I figured out how powerful it was when I paired it with cards like Iona. Now, with the invent of the Eldrazi, it, you know, I felt that maybe Trap will finally have its day in the sun. You know, with Mana Leak jammed into just about everything that could support blue, Trap became an even more potent spell. So I looked into this mono-green Eldrazi deck packing four traps. This is definitely a, a fun deck to play. You know, I, I put it together for the Star City Games Super Friday Night Magic the, the night before the event, and I told myself... You know, that if I got some good results in testing, I'm going to play it. You know, that's just, I'm just going to lock it in, and that's going to be my deck. No such luck, though, uh, as I, you know, I ended up going 2-2, two and two, losing to Mythic Conscription and Vampires of all decks. I did, however, beat up on Naya Allies, uh, which is a, a really scary deck, uh, at least for the Mono Green Eldrazi. And I also uh, beat Blue-White Control. So I, uh, I went back to my buddy Alex's place feeling a, a little unsatisfied. Now, did I really want to play a deck that just scoops it up to gather specimens? Now, I didn't want to worry about mana barbs after board. You know, damn it, what was I going to play? You know, and all the while, teammates, they're, they're finalizing their own decks. While they were doing that, I was on the computer looking through lists, you know, trying to find something that I liked. You know, how... After all of this testing, did I find myself in this position yet again? You know, I wound up finding a, a, a green-white Eldrazi list online that looked pretty decent. You know, it ran walls, Eldrazi's, temples, Garrick's, Awakening Zones, and Martial Coups. 
And without a, a, a single bit of testing, I built it up, sleeved it, and then just crashed on the couch. But then something really, really interesting happened. At about 5 in the morning, the day of the tournament, I woke up. I had it. I had that, you know, that, that moment of clarity. It was one of those moments where it just all comes together. But I didn't have a whole lot of time. I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't have a whole lot of time to do it. When Patrick Chapin came out to do one of our pre-releases, I had asked him how many emails he gets a day asking for, for help on people's decks. Now, he claimed that it was in the hundreds, and, and I believe him. He said that it was impossible to answer them all, uh, but that he did try to answer some. He would first answer a question with a question, and that question was, what is it that your deck wants to do? And it's a deceptively simple question that, that many have a difficult time answering. Now, and I make no claims at being any kind of good deck builder, uh, but when I, when I do brew up some decks, I find that I don't ask myself this question enough. But that morning, I did. So I got up, dawn was starting to break, I broke apart my green-white deck to see what it was trying to do, and, well, it can sometimes get Eldrazi's into play, and that's nice. And sometimes I'll have enough tokens lined up that Garrick will go ultimate, that's good too. But none of these strategies were great, you know what I mean? J jamming a couple of average strategies into one deck was only ever going to get average results. The deck that I wanted to play should have purpose and do one thing extremely well. And in this case, I needed to decide whether or not I, you know, I wanted to put Eldrazi's into play, or if I wanted to make tokens. Trying to do both was just not going to be good enough. So I went with tokens. In fact, I went all in with tokens. I knew that the 5k should have somewhat of an aggressive field, and as such, I wanted something that, that was going to, to weather that initial storm, you know, and then straight up come back and blow them out. I knew this format really, really well, and, and this kind of deck seemed perfect for what I was about to face. I built the deck within hours of the tournament, you know, something that I would never, ever recommend doing. And if you know me, you know, giving your creation a name is critical, and this was no exception. The morning of the 5k, my deck, The Dudes Abide, was born. Check out the show notes for my deck list, and I'll, uh, I'll go over my thoughts on my card choices. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit that this deck isn't perfect. You know, had, I, had I put this deck through a couple of weeks of gauntlet testing, I'm, I'm sure the deck would be more streamlined and maybe look a lot different. Now, there are some things about this particular build that I would go back and, and change, but we'll get to that in a bit. The one thing that was really appealing to me about the green-white Eldrazi build was the idea behind having Garrick fuel a, a nasty martial coup and then overrunning the following turn. With the help of Garrick's ramping, overgrown battlements, and cultivates, I could quite easily pull off a great martial coup quite quickly. The green-white Eldrazi deck had three martial coup. Screw that noise, I wanted four martial coup. I would have run five had they let me. But I don't want to get too ahead of myself here. You know, let's, let's start with the, the, the creatures in this deck. Just eight walls. That's it. The walls are there for several reasons, most notably to block guys trying to spank me. You know, the overgrown battlement, uh, they, it helps me generate mana, and the Wall of Omens, you know, cantrips into good stuff as well as stoke the potency of the battlements. But the bottom line on my summon spells, the walls in this deck are born to die. I want to emphasize that. You know, if your opponent's creatures or spells don't kill them, your martial coups will. So don't feel too bad for them. They're just walls. Let's move on to our enchantments. Awakening Zone and Leyline of Vitality. Mondo Combo! Every time during my upkeep I make a dude and I gain a life. It's like the bizarro Bitter Blossom. You know, it's like Sugar Blossom. Truthfully, Awakening Zone was a bit of a leftover card from the Eldrazi deck, but uh, it, you know, it made tokens to block guys, and I could use them for mana, so I said, what the hell, and I kept them in. Leyline of Vitality, on the other hand, in this deck, is the Stone Blade of Eternal Freaking Justice. Go ahead and laugh. Lots of people did. Now, I can't tell you the look on their faces when I started my game one with that in play. And they were priceless, you know, Kodak moments. Now, some of them giggled. Or, you know, they thought that they were going to get a buy. But they learned. Oh, yes. Towards the end of the match, without speaking, you could kind of see it in their eyes. You know, they were thinking, 
All he did was just make a bunch of tokens. That's it. That's all his deck did. And then he overran my shit. And he ended the game at 46 life. Ooh, I hate this guy so badly. I'm telling you now, the Ley Line is the last card in this deck that I would cut. The secret's in the sauce. Now we go to the sorceries. Cultivate, Martial Coup, Conqueror's Pledge, and Overrun. I am dreamy over Cultivate. I imagine that if I ever run any green deck, it's going to have some number of Cultivate in the deck. Conqueror's Pledge and Martial Coup are the backbone of the deck, especially Martial Coup. Now, Overrun is the cherry on top uh, when, I, when I didn't have an active Garrick to seal the deal. The lone artifact in the deck was, uh, was Monument, Eldrazi Monument. Yet another Mondo combo when coupled with Awakening Zone. And, uh, and it, you know, it served as a, a decent problem for my opponent. And, of course, you've got the four Garrick to round it out uh, to make Dumbos, you know, ramp me up and, uh, and, of course, tell my dudes to get big. I didn't have a whole lot of time to think about my land, but I knew that I really didn't want lands that came into play tapped and uh, I wanted Colony Gardens in here, as they provide a blocker and sometimes would gain me a life. I got the main deck done, and uh, we had to leave for the site in less than an hour, so I had to piece together 15 cards to help me throughout the day for the sideboard. I ran four Obstinate Bailoth, and I wanted to, to shore up my matchup with Jund and, and give me some added protection against the aggressive decks. I thought about Brave the Elements, but the, that only affected white creatures, and I had both green and colorless tokens to consider. So uh, I, I landed on Autumn's Veil, as it served two purposes. You know, I thought that I might run into a lot of Maelstrom Pulse, and uh, it could be a green Pyroblast that I'd need against the control decks. I needed some enchantment removal for cards like Pyromancer's Ascension, O-Ring, and Mana Barbs. But uh, I, I didn't want Back to Nature's. And I, you know, I had my own enchantments that I wanted to keep on board. And uh, I also wanted to have the flexibility of dealing with artifacts as well. So I went with, uh, I went with three Naturalize. And I also put three Pithing Needle uh, to deal with opposing Planeswalkers. But it was mainly in there for Elspeth, as, as she's like public enemy number one for this deck. So much so that I, I had thought about running her myself. My deck clogged up uh, the ground like nobody's business, but a planeswalker throwing fools up in the air and slapping me around was just bad business for me. And, uh, and then I rounded it out with uh, two Celestial Purge. Uh, I brought this in against Mono Red and Jund, but it also served as naturalized number four and five against Pyromancer's Ascension. So we make our way to the tournament site, and there are a ton of people there. And the one thing I can say about Star City Games, uh, they sure know how to host a tournament. It was extremely well run, uh, their vendor's booth had every card you could want, and the judges were just on their game. I was really, really impressed. Another thing that impressed me were all the people that I didn't know coming up to me and telling me that they listened to the podcast, loved the show, and to keep it up. It was, it was tough for me to, to figure out how to handle that. You know, For some reason, I, I'm still under the false impression that only three people listen to this show. I mean, imagine you spend a day fishing at your local lake. You know, you catch like four or five fish, and at the end of the day, you, you go to a restaurant for dinner, and someone out of the blue that you don't know approaches you, addresses you by your name, and says, Oh man, I'm a huge fan of your casting technique. I loved that third fish that you caught. Keep up the good work, man. That's kind of how I felt, <laughs> you know? Uh, it, it was a very humbling and very cool experience, but at the same time, it would catch me completely off guard sometimes. I also got to meet up with Eric from Monday Night Magic, a very, very cool guy. I didn't get to hang out with him as much as I would have, uh, would have liked, but it was really cool getting to, to put a face to the name. I also thought that he did a great job on his live broadcast of the tournaments that weekend. So the tournament itself was nine rounds long. 270 players, um... I'll cut right to the chase. This deck was an absolute blast to play. I started out 3-0, uh, beating up on the blue-white control, uh, Jund, and of all things, another green-white tokens deck. And then, you know, of course I get a feature match against probably my worst matchup, which was, ironically, the Valakut Ramp deck. Funny enough, he had to mulligan down to 6 in both games, but he still managed to beat me. 
I had one moment where I thought that I might be able to pull out a victory, but uh, he top-decked a Primeval Titan and, and then uh, proceeded to win the next turn. You know, not much I could do in that. You know, but in retrospect, uh, it, it made me think that the, my matchup against that deck is pretty miserable, <laughs> and uh, I just kind of had to hope that I never faced it again. I just wanted to face creature decks the rest of the way. And then I faced Naya Allies, and then I beat that deck silly. And then I went up against Mono Red. Now, I didn't know the guy playing it, but he was one of those type of guys who... He couldn't play his deck fast enough. You know the type. You know, they play as if someone is waiting around the corner to beat the shit out of them if they didn't finish their game within 90 seconds. It's as if he snorted three lines of coke right before rolling the dice to see who goes first. It's like, Mountain Gobble Guide Attack! Ah! Don't force me to talk to you or interact with you in any way! Just let me win! Ah! And when I play guys like this, I tend to compensate by playing very slowly. I encourage everyone to employ this strategy when faced with a similar opponent. Because you can either let yourself be annoyed by this kind of play, or you can make it agonizing for them. I choose not to be annoyed. Now, to be clear, I'm not advocating slow play. Make your decisions in a timely manner. Just do it at a pace that is noticeably slower than lightning balls McSpeed over here. And this matchup? Oh my god, it, it's so much in my favor that, that it's shameful. It, it's almost embarrassing. Now, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll start the game with Leyline in play. I'll lay a colony garden and put a 0-2 plant into play and go up to 21. I'll pass the turn to you, sir. Okay, Mountain, Goblin Guide, attack me. Hmm. Well, let's, uh, let's just see what's on top of my library. <laughs> Why, it's a Plains. I will take that Plains. Uh, I'll guess I'll put my Fern in front of your Goblin. All set? Cool. My turn, I'll lay up my Plains and cast a 0-5 Overgrown Battlement and go up to 22. I'll pass the turn. Lay another land and attack with Goblin Guide, huh? Hmm, okay. Well, what's on top? Why, it's a forest. I'll tell you what. I'll take the two this time because I'm, I'm feeling saucy. Ah, oh, you summoned a plated Geopede. That's pretty good. My turn? I'll play my third land, cast a 0-5 Wall of Omens, go up to 21, draw a card, tap a land in my battlement for two green and play a Cultivate. Next turn I'll have the magic number of seven mana. And my friend... It's just not looking very good for you from this point on. And you could tell that he hated my deck. He looked at my deck much like any of us might regard a dog turd on the sidewalk, you know? At the end of the match, he was visibly, visibly steaming. You know, I reached out to shake his hand, and he put his hand out there like he was a, a princess or something, and I, I was supposed to kiss his ring or something. You know, I run into this more and more these days. I don't think that parents are teaching their sons how to firmly shake hands. You know, they limply shake hands as if they possess no muscles in their hands at all. Now, you don't gotta put a hand in a vice grip or anything, but just shake hands firmly. And who knows, normally he might shake hands firmly, but because he was tilting so badly and visibly disgusted losing to my deck, you know, he just gave me that, that five-finger tickle. It took everything in my power not to say, You get nothing! You lose! Good day, sir! And just in case you didn't hear me the first time... You get nothing! You lose! Good day, sir! <laughs> I am very happy to report that I held back the evil and didn't say those things. I then went on to beat a polymorph deck and uh, even survived a swing with Emrakul. Wouldn't you know it, I had enough permanence to sack to the Annihilator and then kill him the next turn. I did end up losing to a buddy of mine, uh, Travis Spiro, playing Turboland, and he eventually went on to top 8 the event. This too seems like uh, kind of a tough matchup, and uh, the final match I played, I faced a very good Jund player who ended up beating me in a Heartbreaker Game 3 in turns. But overall, I finished 35th out of uh, 270 players, just outside of the money. I never got to face Naya Shaman, uh, a matchup that I was looking forward to facing. And uh, overall, I don't think I would have wanted to play another deck. Looking back, there are a couple things that I'd want to do differently, though. The Awakening Zones were, were coming out a lot in games 2 and 3. Uh, they were just too slow for, for what I was trying to do in most cases. And the, the old Drazi Monument was good, but just not terrific. 
in that spot I just wanted something that I could drop and win the game, and Monument didn't really do that. And to be fair, I only packed one Monument in the deck, but I, I think I'd want to, to get something else in here, especially if I'm removing the Awakening Zones from the equation. I also found I wanted more Overrun. Uh, I also drew a few too many Conqueror's Pledge. I think three is probably the right number for this deck. So taking a closer look, uh, there, there's really no reason to not play Avenger of Zendikar in this deck. You know, with a Leyline in play, for, for seven mana, I'm gaining eight life and getting an army of dudes. With one single landfall trigger, my, my little ferns get outside of Jun Charm and Pyroclasm range. And I'd add Overrun 3 and 4 to the deck. Getting these cards in here makes it a little more top-heavy, so I'd want to put uh, 2 Rampant Growth in here to encourage my mana a little bit better. So for main deck changes, I'd take out 4 Awakening Zones, 1 Monument, and 1 Pledge for 2 Avenger of Zendikar, 2 Overrun, and 2 Rampant Growth. In the sideboard, the Baloths were nice, but uh, I'm not sure how necessary they really are. You know, knowing how bad my matchup is with Valakut, I'm tempted to just run main deck Tectonic Edge, like maybe a couple of them, um, and four Leyline of Sanctity out of the board. You know, they have Back to Nature to combat that, but uh, at least it's something I can I can bring in to stall their progress. I know that Star City Games is going to have one final 5k bash in Baltimore before the rotation. If you're planning on going and you're stuck trying to figure out what you should play, you know, this deck is a blast to run, and you'll pick up a ton of wins. Give it a shot. Now, speaking of picking up a ton of wins, uh, my longtime buddy and teammate Josh Napper screwed around and won the Star City Games 5K. Now, I remember the week before I built him this blue-green-red destructive force deck. He liked it, but he just didn't do so well with it, and afterwards he came up to me and was like, Dude, if it's at all possible, I want to run that Naya Shaman deck. I just need to turn guys sideways. <laughs> he wasn't lying. Uh, a huge congrats goes out to him. Uh, it's always an awesome thing when uh, one of your friends takes down a big one. You know, overall, it was a, it was an awesome weekend, and uh, it left me thirsty for more. And speaking of friends taking down big ones, let's talk a little bit about Pro Tour Monster Down. Now, I know a lot of people have already talked about this top 8 as being one of the most incredible talent stack top 8s of all time. You know, I'm not going to argue that point. You had a ton of big name pros in this one. You know, you had Kibler, Nelson, Liber, Reitzel, uh, Wafotapa, Jacobs, and holy balls, the German juggernaut makes his return to the big stage. And then you have Tom Ma. I hate to break it to y'all, but uh, the real story here is Tom Ma. Looking at pictures from the Pro Tour, you have a, a, a virtual murderer's row of Magic players. And then, you have this 19-year-old guy wearing some wacky shades with a smile the size of Texas that you couldn't slap off of his face. And this guy epitomizes the Pro Tour spirit and tells the story we all hope to hear and dream that it's true. This marked his very first Pro Tour ever. You know, he won the blue envelope here in Denver, then he proceeds to fly across an ocean into a foreign country, Unfazed by the sheer amount of talent around him, he plows through a field and gets his first Pro Tour Top 8 while becoming a legitimate contender for Rookie of the Year. Now, I've been around to see a ton of players go on to the Tour, and uh, I can tell you now that this rarely ever happens. Now sure, he lost in the Top 8, but what makes it so special is that uh, he made it there. He did it! So again, another uh, congrats goes out to Tom Ma. Uh, we can't wait to see what you do next, man. Alright, spoiler alert, it's time to throw down a little Scars of Mirrodin. Now, I don't know about you guys, but uh, as a player who still remembers Affinity, I wasn't too anxious to make a trip back to Mirrodin. Just saying the word Mirrodin brought up way too many horrible magic memories for me. But the thing is, I think the designers of this game knew that, uh, that, that this was the case with a lot of players, and wanted to give the, the concept of an artifact world a second chance. You know, I'm in favor of the idea uh, if they do it right. And considering how good of a set Zendikar was, I'm willing to put my faith in these designers to come up with a more balanced world. Now, the full spoiler isn't out quite yet. But um, 
you know, there are some very interesting cards that uh, are being thrown into the mix here. And if you don't already know the drill, I'm not going to go over all the cards that have been spoiled. Uh, the, the full spoiler isn't out quite yet, but even if it was, it's just too exhausting to go over every card, so I'm, uh, I'm just going to go over a few cards. I'm a lazy bastard, what can I say? Now, if you don't know what these cards do, go over to uh, MTG Salvation for the actual text. Follow along, and, uh, and let's take this journey together. The first card is Elspeth Terrell. Oh, man, if there was just a, a, a single card that was custom-made for the dude's abide, it's this one, damn it. A planeswalker that can make dudes to protect herself, yet another life gain mechanism, and a way to nuke the board, leaving only your tokens and lands in play? Jeez. Well, it's safe to say that I've got some plans for this saucy wench. And she will definitely see some play in standard. You know, I, I don't want uh, to, to throw the typical cop-out that a lot of players use when they say, Well, it's really strong, I just don't know what home she'll have. Never lead with that excuse, because that's really all it is. It's just an excuse. Get behind the wheel and test with her. You know, and, and, if, and if needed, create a home for her. You know, I, I, don't, uh, I don't know of any deck that will run four. Maybe there will be, but uh, overall, I'd say she's definitely a safe bet. Pick as many of them up as you can. Another uh, card that looks interesting to me uh, in blue is Dissipation Field. You know, on the surface, it looks only so-so, but given how many token creatures it, it looks like the, this set has, the fact that tokens pretty much vanish if it deals damage seems pretty strong. Now keep this card on the radar, you know, I can see how this card could be potentially strong. In, in black, we have Exsanguinate. <laughs> you, you ever get the feeling that R&D might be running out of uh, uh, violent-sounding verbs? You know, it's not a spectacular card, unless you're playing like a Grand Melee or something. Uh, but, the, but the name just, just made me giggle. Now let's let's talk about a real badass black card, Skithrix the Blight Dragon. I cannot get over the artwork on this card. Yeah, the, the the fact that this guy regenerates, I think, is going to be extremely relevant. You know, the, the turn it comes into play is when it's going to be the most vulnerable, uh, unless uh, of course you just happen to have two more black lying around after you cast him. I'd say once you get an untapped step with this guy, the game is looking pretty bleak for your opponent. It's definitely going to be bombastic and limited, and uh, it's affordable and powerful enough uh, to, to have some serious impact on Constructed. Moving on to red, there's, uh, there's really only one card to talk about here, and that's Koth the Face Smasher. The emblem that this beast puts out is obviously nasty, but uh, I think that his other abilities are really good too. You know, removing two loyalty to make a ton of red mana, uh, th that will have a bunch of applications. You know, from fueling a, a Kargan Dragonlord to its top level, uh, to making it easier to cast Inferno Titan, not to mention pumping Inferno Titan. I can see it really playing a, a, a part in ramp decks like Valakut or even Destructive Force decks. And on top of that, his supposedly minor ability of adding a loyalty to untap a mountain and making a 4-4 seems pretty frickin' good. The argument against Koth is that, uh, unlike the other two new planeswalkers, Koth can't protect himself. Well, that's why I think most players are going to play 4 in their deck to make up for the first one dying. I would. Because eventually, when one Koth sticks, the fat lady is going to be tuning up. Nothing too exciting in green, uh, which may just be as well, considering how dominating green decks have been in standard lately. Azuri's Brigade doesn't look half bad. You know, four powered creatures for four seem to be turning into the gold standard these days. But potentially having a force of nature on the board for four could be pretty nutty. But uh, I, I really want to see the rest of the set before putting too much excitement into him. For now, I'll just have to reserve my excitement for Venser the Sojourner. Now, getting the emblem is obviously super strong. Uh, I think the, the ultimate abilities on all of the Planeswalkers are insane. But uh, what we really have to pay attention to is how good the other abilities are. You know, the plus two ability to momentary blink is probably the most relevant ability on here. Because that's what's going to be used to defend Venser. You know, attack with Baneslayer Angel. After combat, blink the bitch. 
She comes back into play untapped, and she protects the house. Now, I see Venser getting used in concert with creatures that have coming into the play effects like Titans. Uh, you could blink a Planeswalker that is getting low on counters like, uh, like Little Jace. It could even work well with something like Journey to Nowhere. You know, just play musical chairs hide-and-seek with your opponent's creatures. Especially if you're using it to, to kill their token creatures. Uh, Journey to Nowhere could be, uh, could be great with Venser. I think that the negative one ability uh, of making all of your creatures unblockable uh, is going to be one of those things where it just gets used for wins out of nowhere. It's like, oh, wait a minute, you're at eight life? Lay Venser and kill you. Needless to say, I think Venser is high on, on my list of badass cards from the set. But the real story of Scars of Mirrodin are, of course, the artifacts. I'm just going to go over a couple of my favorites so far. Uh, I, I think Shamiric Mass is insane. Uh, this is a, a card that you could play for, for one and just proliferate your way to making a monster rock that uh, you can activate for one mana. I think that's going to be pretty strong. Uh, Contagion Clasp is an uncommon that you can play for two. It puts a negative one, negative one counter on a creature, and then for four you can proliferate. There's another card, Contagion Engine, that's six mana. When Contagion Engine enters the battlefield, put a negative one, negative one counter on each creature target player controls, then it's four, tap, proliferate, then proliferate again. I think that the proliferate is going to be a very, very strong component of this set. Now, when talking about Infect, uh, Mark Rosewater went on record as saying that there is nothing in this set that will remove poison counters, which means all it takes is one poison counter on your opponent, and proliferate becomes a win condition. You know, kind of like you know, bizarro direct damage. But think about how Proliferate works with cards like Planeswalkers, or even simple cards like Everflowing Chalice. And it's an ability that looks simple enough on the surface, but uh, I think it's going to play a major role in how we think about the game in the future. Uh, here's another card I like, Koldatha Forge Master. You know, I know, uh, you're thinking sacking three artifacts is rough, but just remember that cards with tutor effects have proven themselves to be pretty insane over the course of time. And uh, this one not only tutors for them, but it puts it directly into play. So, you know, there are going to be some artifacts in this set, or in future sets, that will directly impact the board once it hits the battlefield. So, definitely keep the Forge Master in mind when you're brewing. Let's see what else. Oh, <laughs> you know, I freaked out a little bit when I saw uh, Molten Tail Masticore. Now, he's really, really strong. But I don't think he's as strong as I thought he was when I first saw him. The thing that makes the, the last two Masticores really, really good uh, was the fact that they could go literally into any deck. You know, creature decks, control decks, uh, even combo decks could, you know, could play Masticores out of the board uh, as a man plan. Molten Tail is a bit more specific. You know, it's really only good in creature-based decks you know, where you can exile critters. And it almost feels like you're obligated to use the 4 damage ability to get full value out of him, considering you're, you're pitching cards every turn to him. And this just seems a little awkward and at times prohibitive. I think this guy will need to be played with a little bit just to see how good he is. Uh, but I don't think that he's as insane as the hype machine makes him out to be. And now we move on to my favorite rare of the set so far. Mere Battlesphere. Say it with me one time. Mere Battlesphere. Isn't it just fun to say? And look at the picture of this thing. You know, just a bunch of mirrors bunched up together into this massive rolling Raiders of the Lost Ark ball that's coming straight at you, ready to whoop some ass. I mean, seriously, though, how strong is this guy? You know, much like Avenger of Zendikar, for seven mana, you, you get an instant army. And since it's colorless, you know, he can be packed into any deck that produces mana. I mean, think how strong this guy is with Venser. You know, with Venser in play, you cast Mirror Battlesphere, you blink the Battlesphere uh, to, to make a, a total of eight Mirror dudes in play, at that point, your opponent has to kill Venser or Battlesphere. Because if they don't, you turn around and make everything unblockable with Venser. You know, you, you tap 8 Mir to make Battlesphere huge while dealing 8 direct damage to them, and then attack with a 12-7 unblockable Battlesphere. That's 20 points of damage, ladies and gentlemen. Mir Battlesphere. I'm telling you now, this card is the Midnight Creature feature. He's going to give people nightmares. I love him. You know, there are other cards that I could go over, like, uh, 
You know, Mox Opal, I like that. Prototype Portal, Worm Coil Engine. But really, Mirror Battlesphere is, is such a tough act to follow. It would just be unfair to talk about those other cards after blowing our loads on, on Battlesphere. You know what I mean? You know what I mean. All that said, I think this is going to be another very strong set, and a very fun one. And this may also prove to be one of the most cerebral sets to come out that will offer a real challenge to its players to figure out. I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready for some scars. Alright, kitties, it's about time for some community calendar and playground news. September 18th, 2010, TCGplayer.com Championship Qualifier at Enchanted Grounds. That's actually this Saturday. Um, format is standard, cost is $25. Registration begins at 9 a.m., play begins at 10 a.m. You know, for those of you that don't know uh, what the TCG Player Championship is, a lot of people are calling it like the, the fourth Pro Tour. You know, it, it's a $75,000 tournament held at the Chicago Comic Con in 2011. Uh, the winner of, of this particular TCQ uh, gets a blue envelope of sorts. You know, it's a $300 travel voucher to fly out to Chicago and play in the event. It'll also mark the very last major standard tournament prior to the rotation. Should be a good time. And of course, the week after, Saturday, September 25th, one day only, Front Range Magic is bringing you the Scars of Mirrodin pre-release event. It's going to take place at the American Inn. Format is Scars of Mirrodin sealed deck. Uh, they're going to have two-headed giant and booster drafts. Registration begins at 8.30. Booster drafts begin at 10 a.m. We'll have some really special guests this time around. Artist Jason Felix will be in attendance, signing cards and selling some of his own work. Our gunslingers for this event, Scars of Mirrod and set designers Nate Heiss and Mike Turian. And about 10 years ago, when I played in my very first Pro Tour, I watched Mike Turian play... And above all of the other pros in that room, he was the guy that impressed me the most with his play. Both Nate and Mike will be there to answer questions about the set, and as well as take on all comers at the gunslinger tables. I will be the card vendor at the event, so I'll, uh, I'll be buying and selling cards all day, so be sure to swing on by and say aloha. This is going to be a really fun time. You know, I always look forward to the pre-releases as I get to see and, and hang out with everyone from the casual crowd all the way up to the wannabe ballers. I look forward to it. We'll see you guys there. And last but certainly not least, October 9th, 2010, the 2010 Colorado State Championships. It's going to be held at the Holiday Inn. Format is standard. Registration begins at 9, play begins at 10. I love this event. Yeah, it's the first week where the new set is legal, and there are few, if any, deck lists or event results to draw from. Which means that the players, not the pros, get the first crack at forging the new standard metagame. This event is going to be huge, as everyone will be bringing their brews to the dance. It also means that a new state champion is born, and a year's worth of free events is up for grabs. I'm definitely looking forward to this one. Alright, now on to some playground news. As you heard at the beginning of the show, Jin's Playground has a brand new website. Go check it out and tell me what you think. It's www.jinsplayground.com. All kinds of fun stuff there, and I'll uh, be changing it up and making little tweaks to it every so often. So bookmark it and come back every now and then and, uh, and see what's up. Also, a good friend of mine is writing a gaming blog called The Fry Guy Invectives from my website. And uh, I invite all of you to give him a read. He's got some great insight on gaming, sports, and life. And uh, if I know him well enough, you can be sure to see some fuel-injected rants come out of him. Let's see, what else here? Ah! In our last episode, the official Jin's Playground Facebook page had 101 fans, but now we're at 127 soldiers. You guys are the nut high. One by one, day by day, we're building an army one badass at a time. And one day, oh yes, one day, we will take over the world. You guys that listen to this podcast are the ones that make it happen. We're at 127 now, here's to a number 128. All right, it's uh, that time in the show where we bid ye farewell. We're going to do a little something different this time, and who knows, you know, maybe we'll make this a regular thing. Let's see who out there is movie savvy. Down in the comments section of the podcast, tell me what movie you think this song is from. Tom from Monday Night Magic is not allowed to answer. He's a big movie nut like myself, and this is probably a snap answer for him. All right, so it's time to give out some shout-outs. A big shout uh, goes out to a guy by the name of Billy Massingale. 
Billy was a player back in the day, and uh, we all hung out with him. A few years back, he got into an automobile accident, and between the trauma and the treatment he received, uh, he was left in pretty bad shape. The local gaming community here got together shortly afterwards and did an impromptu fundraiser for him and his parents. I want to say that it was sometime around Ravnica Block when we, when we all did that. Now here we are, years later, he's written to tell me that he's going to come out to the Scars pre-release to sling some cards and have some fun. I think that it's awesome, and I, uh, I look forward to seeing him. A shout goes out to Magic player Tim Sinnott. One of Colorado's elite Magic players is moving to Austin, Texas. You know, I'm not sure what the Magic scene is like down there in the heart of Texas, but uh, it just got some serious talent. We'll miss you here in Denver, buddy. And an extremely huge shout goes out to my longtime Magic teammate and good friend Dave Toops, a.k.a. Sarge, also known as Tuples. He serves in the Air Force and uh, just got done with a long stretch in Afghanistan. He is now home, safe and sound, with his wife and daughter in Hawaii. And it's only a few months away from him coming back to Colorado. And then you're all in trouble. I don't necessarily agree with uh, why our country does what it does. But uh, I can say this. I am an avid supporter of those men and women who are fighting and risking their lives overseas. uh, So that guys like me can play magic and do magic podcasts. A huge thanks goes out to Dave and all of our other brothers and sisters serving in the armed forces. All right, that's all I got. I ain't got no more. If you're in the area, come on down and kick it with me at the Scars pre-release. If you're not in the area, well, then you suck. I'm just kidding. This is the Jin signing off saying, Money can't buy you happiness. But it does bring you a more pleasant form of misery. Peace! Peace!